We are live, people. We are live. Welcome back. Hotep Jesus, your favorite host, podcaster, moderator, thinker, philosopher, author, just overall great guy. I'm here with a very, very special guest today, somebody I've been working with for the past year or so. Very intelligent dude, uh, very informative, keeps me hip to a lot of different topics. Uh, in the description, there's a link below actually to his book on gun control. There's a lot of debates these days about gun control, blase, blase. And he actually has 10 strong rebuttals for that debate. So you can win a debate at Thanksgiving, Christmas, whenever you're with the family and you're around your liberal yeah. He wrote that. He wrote that book to, to arm you. But more importantly, so we can use our First Amendment right to protect our Second Amendment right. So he's armed us with that. Uh, he does uh, writing on several different uh, blogs, has worked with several different blogs and media outlets. With no further ado, I'd like, I like to welcome my homie, Hotep's been told you staff, team, honorable Hotep, Jose Nino. What's up, brother? How you feeling, man? I'm doing great, man. How are you, man? Life is good. Life is good. As you know, I've been doing these talks with people across uh, various. Actually, I've been focusing more on Bitcoin over the past couple of weeks. And then we did the Blexit debate. And then, um, you know, we've been working together. And I was like, man, I need to have Jose on. The people need to hear from Jose because he's just a bank of knowledge. You know, he's like, he's like that, uh, that kid that just knows shit that you just, you know, that you just don't know. So you got to keep this guy around. It's definitely why I'm glad to have him as one of the honorary hoteps. Um, today, we're going to be talking about Venezuela, conservatism, grassroots lobbying, entrepreneurship but you know being a troublemaker that i am i want to dive right into the heart of this right yeah <laughs> what, the way what I like it. you you sent me a text message and the text message said uh what did it say exposing conservatism i believe was the was the uh exact verbiage uh yeah exposing conservative conservative ink what 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 What's your beef with conservative ink, Jose? Well, this ties into a lot of my work through grassroots lobbying. And to give people like some background, just real quick, I used to work as an email marketer and legislative like operator for National Association for Gun Rights. They're like the more hardcore gun lobby, along with like Gun Owners of America that are opposite of the NRA, which is more of like an establishment an organization. And when you work behind the scenes, you, you learn about a lot of stuff that goes down with a lot of supposedly pro-gun elected officials that end up like selling out a lot of grassroots conservatives and people that actually want to restore gun rights and restore the second amendment. And a lot of people, especially the misguided conservatives on Twitter and those that just consume nothing but mainstream conservative media from their conservatism ink outlets, they don't understand the biggest enemies to their cause are from within. They're supposed champions of gun rights and other issues. And the left, we already know they're they're always transparent about what they want. They want to just completely destroy the Second Amendment. But what we don't know 
unfortunately, is that there's a lot of people that are helping us march on the path to the destruction of the Second Amendment on the supposed right. And I've been telling people for a while that what matters most when you look at a candidate or, or elected official is the track record on the issue, not the rhetoric. The rhetoric is pointless. That's just campaign speech to raise money and get people all worked up for election season. So what matters is when they cast that vote, that's what counts, and that's public information. You go on any legislative website on specific bills, and that's where it matters the most. Okay. And in my years in, of grassroots lobbying, I've learned that the best way to move forward is taking a scorched earth approach with supposed conservatives that drop the ball on these issues. And that's why you have to tie the track record of their bad votes to the election season, ultimately, through the primaries or general elections. Generally speaking, primaries are the best because of the way the party system is structured, where you run just a better Republican. And I think like that is not just confined to the Second Amendment. You've got a lot of Republicans that vote for massive government when it comes to economics, foreign policy, education, and even like also immigration. They promote mass migration for like their cheap labor, big big time donors. And yeah, this bleeds into a lot of issues. It's not just confined to the Second Amendment, and that's why a lot of people that are into politics as a hobby to truly understand like politics you want to get involved at the grassroots level because that's how you know how you get higher knowledge of what's really going down and you'll learn real fast that things are not the way that fox news or any mainstream outlet will tell you Somebody in the comments said we got to start calling them Twitter conservatives. <laughs> so there's definitely been an influx of uh, political hobbyists, but you're talking about political lobbyists and getting in on, on, on the grassroots level. Can you expand on that? What do you mean? Like, like how do I get involved at the grassroots level in, in lobbying and such? Well, it's actually kind of interesting now because of the fact that the barriers to entry are kind of lower now due to the internet. You can basically start a, say, like pro-gun or low-tax organization from your computer. And essentially, you just need somebody who knows like the politics pretty well, like, like a policy nerd, someone who knows email marketing, like basic social media promotion, then like a face for the organization. And ideally somebody who knows how to raise money, like a fundraiser, and you just find like an issue. I am more partial to the idea of single issue lobbying because it's so much easier to organize people when you're surrounded on one single issue, say like gun, gun rights, an immigration group, a sound money group that wants like abolish the Fed or produce like some type of crypto alternative. I think that's kind of the the way to go. Cause when you stack a bunch of issues together, 
you basically start stepping on other people's toes. It's hard to organize people around that. And those groups tend to like stagnate in the long term. It just makes much more sense to do single issue lobbying. And this is actually a tactic of the left. The left is insanely successful at this. They have tons of round table groups, nonprofits, single issue groups that they've built for decades on end because they play the long game. They've been doing this for nearly a century and they don't think about just like the 2020 or 2022 elections. They're thinking in more macro political cycles, like much bigger picture. They're talk they're thinking like 30 to 40 years ahead. That's why they always it always seems like they are like 10 steps ahead of us every everywhere we go. That's why you see like the Trump administration, they've been like pretty flimsy on a lot of foreign policy stuff and immigration stuff. People will say, oh, Trump sold out and blah, blah, blah. A lot of this is institutional inertia. Like the the these powers, these interest groups are so entrenched in DC because they've put in so much work over decades that they they will basically call the shots regardless of who's in power and derail like a disruptor like Trump's agenda. And I tell a lot of people, they say you start out locally because you have to have a base. You can't talk about taking over DC if you can't even take over your freaking city council. You gotta start somewhere and you have to build that base. And that's how like the left has done since like the progressive era, like the early 20th century, they started out with the municipalities and they moved up the state legislatures, captured governors, mansions, and then they eventually made their way to the Congress and the permanent bureaucracy. And that's like where we're at today. Mm. Now you said um, the conservative ink politicians are saying one thing, but they're voting another way. What are some issues that they're voting the other way on or who are some of these people, some of these culprits, you know, like, can you expand on that a little bit? Yeah, for example, you look at the Parkland shooting, uh, after the Parkland shooting, you had the former Florida governor and now Florida U.S. Senator Rick Scott, who was completely championed as like a Tea Party guy. This guy's like a small government conservative. He will protect the Second Amendment, everything like that. He signed the largest expansion of gun control in Florida's recent history after that shooting, which included a red flag gun confiscation order in that. And he got rewarded by a bunch of boomer conservatives with a U.S. Senate seat. And even like now, like you look at the Congress with that freshman congressman, Dan Crenshaw, who's also pushing red flag legislation and other types of constructive Republican alternative proposals, AKA crap legislation. And the list goes on. If you look That's at- iPads, right? The Dan you what? You yeah. said his name. That's that's the guy with the eye patch, right? Yeah. Yeah, he's been flip flopping on a bunch of issues. That's the one uh, Nick Fuentes came down on. The the, the yeah. came down on. Yeah, and that's that's actually pretty much standard operating procedure for a lot of Republicans. Even like Marco Rubio, now it's also pushing by flag legislation, also from Florida as well. And these Republicans. They talk a big game, but 
they basically are working for the other team. They they just take a like leftist light position on a certain issue, and they eventually catch up to the left on the consensus, consensus issue. It used to be like conservatives would stand up against gay marriage, but now they accept it. It used to be conservatives stand up to the Second Amendment. Now they're like trotting out support for background check legislation, red flag laws, and not even to mention like the Federal Reserve, which nobody even touches anymore in Washington, D.C., with the exception of like maybe one or two reps like Thomas Massey or whatever. <laughs> so you said these guys are working for the other team. That just hit me. That just hit me hard because, you know, I don't follow politics as closely as you do. I, I don't know it as well as you do. But from where I'm sitting, it's that seems to see that seems to be plain as day that these guys are definitely working for the other team. And, you know, you say it's, it's not in their rhetoric, but as somebody who specializes in analyzing propaganda, I uh, I can smell the bullshit a mile away. You absolutely hit the nail on the head with that, man. So we got red flag laws going up in Florida and where else? Well, Florida's like the only like red state. There's like, I think like 16 states now with red flag laws. They're mostly like in just like kind of like Democrat controlled states. But you're seeing like also states like Ohio and stuff like a, a Republican governor that supports like a red flag law. And it's becoming a bipartisan issue. And when you see something become bipartisan, you're getting fucked. It's it's double punt penetration at the end of the day because. Like when the elites like around a certain issue, you know you're screwed. It's like the Federal Reserve, man. <laughs> <laughs> so you were in is it Rand Paul or Ron Paul? I got into politics actually through like Alex Jones and Ron Paul. Like that was like in oh seven, I believe. Yeah. And he published you, he published you in his book, right? That was Rand Paul. Rand yeah, Paul. I had some of my articles on yeah. I had some of my articles from like, the Mises Institute on Venezuela that were published and cited in Rand Paul's book, which is actually quite surprising because I was just mostly ranting on that website. <laughs> it's on the Mises.org website. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I, I teach my kids off that website. Um, Chad sent me this good book, Rothbard. I found it on um, Anatomy of the State by uh, Murray Rothbard. And That's I, a great book. Yeah, and I found it on the website. So I was using it as a lesson. Like, it's basic knowledge for me, but for the kids, like, this is a great uh, piece of uh, material to kind of explain to them uh, what the state is and how it functions and how it stays alive, right? So that's 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 quite an accomplishment. Like, how do you... How'd you get that? How'd you get that gig to publish on Mises? Is, can anybody do this, or were you given special access? Well, really, this also kind of goes to like marketing as well, because my first article there was on Venezuela because it was a hot button topic at the time. This was like 2016. And my angle was that like I'm Venezuelan. I've looked over the politics there and I've kind of studied it and just brought in an article about price controls, how like price controls that are imposed by the government cause shortages it's basic economics and that's how i that's my in 
and that's what I tell a lot of people as well when they're starting up groups and stuff. You want to find an issue that people are talking about already because it's just so much easier to like generate traffic, money, and interest. And that's what I did. They generally speaking, if you have like relevant topics that are from like a free market decentralization and like contrarian angle, they'll accept. They're not that strict as long as like it's well argued and there's like strong grammar and it tends to be more long form material. Think like 600 to 1200 words in general is what they're looking for. But I know I have friends that have posted on there. I try to write for them like at least once a week. Yeah, that's dope, man. That's dope. Um, for the people that don't know, you want to get into uh, economics. Mises.org is uh that comes from Ludwig von Mises, right? Yes, correct. Yeah, Ludwig von Mises, uh, Austrian uh, economics, right? Yeah, Ludwig von Mises, I think, is like the most important economist of the 20th century. He was from Austria, and he the case the strongest case for free markets exposed like socialism and why it's like destined to fail and how free markets are absolutely necessary for a civilized society to function mm -hmm. so let's let's just take a step back really fast here you're from venezuela we saw uh some juan guido uh and uh who's the who's the other guy the the guy that's in power now nicolas maduro maduro yeah. So we have the U.S. government trying to install, I guess we can call Patsy Guido? Guido? Yeah, Guido. Yeah, Juan Guido. Guido. Yeah. I mean, yeah, Venezuela is kind of complicated now because the situation there is kind of like geopolitical. Like you're talking about like big, bigger players in the background that are jockeying for power there because Maduro is being basically propped up by like countries like China and Russia. Like China, I think made like a two billion dollar investment in Huawei in Venezuela. Like, I think in March this year, and U.S. is just trying to essentially exercise clout there now. But a lot of it's just like a geopolitical chess match because the U.S. like has been the past like twenty years in the Middle East trying to like regime change there, putting like military bases there and all that. So a lot of these powers like Russia, China, they've kind of like made an alliance convenience and are going in the US's backyard now to like install presence there and the US is getting pissed. But it's like a it's a logical move from a geopolitical perspective because whenever the US is basically putting bases on your backyard, you're gonna respond in kind by putting bases and other assets in their backyard. And yeah, the the whole collapse there in my book, I've written a book called How Socialism Destroyed Venezuela. It's been like decades in the making, like the previous governments to Maduro and Hugo Chavez were already screwing things up like in the 90s. When my family left Venezuela, like my dad's business was like the ultimate catalyst like that made us leave because it went under 
in 96 and inflation in 96 was like 100 percent there and venezuelan millennials have seen a single year of inflation below 10 percent in fact the last year that venezuela saw inflation below 10 percent was in 1983. so essentially venezuelans have seen like their savings and everything like that like constantly destroyed for the past like 30 years regardless of who's in power and now what we're seeing is not just like an economics debate there because the country's already in shambles but mostly a like political like tug of war between foreign external actors trying to jockey for power well i mean a lot of it well, has, I mean, to, do with, it uh, has to do with uh, what was that you got the speaker on or something jose i can hear my can you turn down the speaker wait what's going on no just turn the speaker down a little bit i can hear okay yeah so um we have the uh damn it's still i still hear it echoing why wasn't it echoing before that's weird yeah testing testing one two yeah, I still hear myself. Just turn it down a little bit more. Yeah, that should be good. Let me see. All right, that's fine. Yeah, so uh, the way I understand it is the oil under the ground in Venezuela has been centralized and uh, is the pricing is controlled by OPEC, right? I'm not like really an oil expert, but like Venezuela's oil has been like nationalized since the 1970s, mid 1970s. And a lot of that's like used to create like a massive bureaucracy so that like they can use the oil revenue to like essentially use like bribes and like welfare payments to build like voting blocks and all that, that stuff like that. They've done that. Every government in Venezuela from like the 70s until the present have done that. And one thing about Venezuelan oil, though, that's like kind of different from other forms of oil is that it's like very thick and it's hard to get out of the ground. So it requires like really specialized techniques for that. And the petrol politics are huge there because the whole state revolves around the distribution of like petroleum rents. Like that's why the governments there are like always like corrupt regardless of who's in power it's just like now the situation's gotten worse because it's just like it's an accumulation of bad policies that have just turned into a complete like disaster now that like the country's hit like a point of no return mm, mm. yeah man um yeah i know uh when i was doing my research if i can remember it correctly um oh what was opec doing man i know they were doing something you mentioned price controls earlier right yeah so tell me when you talk about price controls are you talking about cost of goods you talking about cost of money mostly cost of goods like they put price controls on like basic goods like flour sugar and stuff like that like the, the price things the government put pushes they do have exchange controls there too. Like you can't really take out 
dollars. You can't really use dollars like in legal markets. It's all black market now because of government regulation. Right, right. Yeah, I think that's what happened with, well, I think that's what OPEC was doing. I think what they were doing was uh, fixing the price of oil at the time, which made it not profitable for Venezuela. Nobody quote me on this because I'm still going off of information I read like a year ago. But I think that's that's uh, has a lot to do with uh, the destruction of Venezuela, as, as well as uh, loan money from the IMF. Are you familiar with that practice? Oh, I mean, in the 90s, that's what happened with Venezuela, actually, with the IMF. They, Venezuela was, like, bankrupt in 1989, and the president at the time, Carlos Andres Perez, he's, like, basically, like, a leftist politician, kind of like a Bernie Sanders, like, a banana republic Bernie Sanders, if you will. He went to the IMF for reforms, like so-called free market reforms. They were like fake free market reforms, like the privatizations that the IMF was proposing were basically like privatize this company and you just sell it to like the brother of the finance ministry and all that. Like they, it was basically privatized and sold to like political cronies and families. And they proposed like a bunch of other stuff, like cutting like fuel subsidies and they never controlled inflation. So people started rioting and the government had like cracked down in an event called the Caracaso of like 1989, where they killed like hundreds of people because they were all looting and they were pissed off at the fact that like they, that fuel prices rose. Inflation was like, I think like nearly 90% then. And the standard of living was dropping. And the IMF basically gave a bunch of half-assed measures with also like loans and stuff that really screwed up Venezuela and it couldn't, it never really recovered until like, I'd say like 2000 when Chavez was in power. Mm, mm. Yo, shout out to the chat, everybody in the chat participate appreciate y'all for coming through. If you got questions, you already know Super Chats is live, um, but definitely do me a favor. Likes are free. Don't cost you nothing to hit that like button. Go ahead, hit the like button so we can float this around the YouTube network. More people can see this thing based upon that weird algorithm that they're playing with. How do you feel about YouTube, man, and what they're doing these days? I know they're passing this new, uh, I think it's this month, I think the 10th, they have the new TOS coming, right? Where they say they can just ban people. Mm, I've ever been keeping up with that stuff but like man yeah social media it's hard out here if you're like on the dissident right or anyone who talks about really controversial stuff for example in my experience with second amendment lobbying on facebook you can't even run ads anymore for like gun stuff and in youtube you're demonetized off the bat if you push like pro second amendment content and I feel like now, especially if you're going into the political game, you've got to learn email marketing. Like you have to learn copywriting and move your business model there and like snail mail and like direct mail marketing because it's just very, very difficult for authentically right-wing figures to make a living now off of like YouTube, especially if you're like new to the game, if you're entering now. You think it's harder if, you, if you're getting in the game now? 
Yeah, definitely. I definitely like. You think? I do, feel you like think I, do you think it's easier if you if uh, if you're black? That's interesting. I I I don't know. If you're a black conservative, maybe. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. If you was a black conservative, do you think it's easier getting in now than it is if you were getting in as a white conservative? I mean, you're talking about toilet paper USA, yeah, man. Like, <laughs> like, I I think it's it's e it's easy to be like a POC conservative these days. Like, as for job opportunities and conservatives Inc. because they're always trying to reach out to those demographics. It's behind demand and like the country's demographics are changing as well. So it, it, you do get preference. You do have like a lot of advantages in my opinion. Yeah, that's, I feel like if I could take a black kid from the hood, I could turn him into a mega superstar. <laughs> yeah. Do you like, you have like a conservatism Inc recruitment agency pipeline <laughs> yeah just you know we bring them in and we give them the talking points train them in the talking points we get them a MAGA hat that's cash flow man that's that's serious cash flow right there yeah that, that, that's actually an interesting idea I'm it's serious. just like assembly line of like MAGA peds yeah I mean you can sell these guys to all types of different lobbying groups you know like, yeah. uh, you know, like what I hate sometimes, like I work with startups and I hate when the startups go, they, they hit me up and they go, yeah, you know, we really want to reach the black community. And it's at that point where I'm like, oh, my God. I'm like, do you realize all my fans <laughs> are white? Like all my peoples are white. <laughs> like all my followers are white. Like you don't want to like I'm I'm bigger than that. Like, yeah, I can get you the black crowd, but I can get you everybody. I can get you black, white, you know, whatever, you know? So I hate when, when they do that. I get it because, you know, they want that demographic. But a guy like me, the black community ain't for sale, you know? It's, it's, not, yeah. it's not for sale. Now, if I train somebody else in the ways and they go... And they sell the black community. Am I wrong? Because technically, I didn't do it, right? Like, I'm not selling the black community. They've chosen to lower their morals. I'm just showing them how to get their money and taking my 15%. Am I wrong for that? <laughs> no. I mean, you got to get your paper somehow. And I mean, like... It's a hustle now. It's it's like a niche within like a niche, and it's a good way to profit off of it. And we we need like spokesmen of like whatever background to fight this stuff off. That's why I like Black Guns Matter and uh, Maj with them because they're, they're that's an actual serious group. It's not just like some gimmick that like a conservatism Inc. Right. type of nonprofit is pushing to meet like some racial quota they're going into like the inner cities and maj is of that demographic he can speak the language and he could put like a lot of like libertarian conservative talking points in a way that can relate with those people that's actually a serious project the rest of that stuff you see these days of turning point or whatever organization that's just for like optics and like good fundraising, short-term fundraising. That's not going to go far though, because they're just using talking points. They're not using 
proven tactics or they're not even talking about the stuff that really matters at the end of the day. So you said that's for optics and fundraising. Interesting. Interesting. Ah. Uh. So it seems like they pop up some sort of uh, 501 organization, you know, uh, they, they rally around one or two issues and then put on a certain bravado and then raise money. Whereas Maj, he raises money too, but when I look think about Maj and Black Guns Matter, I think about somebody that's actually providing a service for the community. This is something that you not actually use. You're teaching people gun safety. Like this is very important. It's one thing to say, yeah. hey, yeah, we need our guns. It's another thing to say, this is how you handle one safely. These are the do's and don'ts. Like never wave a gun, never point it at somebody, you know, trigger discipline, things that have saved people's lives. And then, you know, um, de-escalation of violence. Yeah. In fact, I think that organization is built more for the long term. Like we're talking like decades from now, because a lot of the turning point strategies and stuff like that, once Trump's out of office, like orgs will come and go. A lot of these orgs was built for like a year or two. And then like once like the founders get their, their money and stuff like that, and they pay off their people, they kind of fold a lot. I've been in the nonprofit game for like a decade in politics and you see these kind of nonprofits like just come and go and they have their ebbs and flows but what separates like the serious organizations though is like if they're thinking about the long game if they're actually not chasing quick money they actually have like a service to provide and they're tapping into a niche that needs to be filled like those are the orgs that last yeah yeah that's what i worry about i think after this trump wave we're going to see a lot of people move on to greener pastures do, do you see can you foresee what those greener pastures are can you predict what you think these people will be doing when trump is over will they be switching sides or they stay conservatives and they find new talking points what are they going to be what are they going to be doing it's tough to say they'll probably just go back to their normal conservative organizations where they repeat uh, the same talking points. I think they'll try to co-opt a lot of like, the MAGA message and that's what a lot of these groups do. They try to entice a lot of like naive political operatives and activists with a lot of this rosary rhetoric that sounds good and that's how they hook them in. But then like, when the push comes to shove, they'll start supporting establishment candidates that vote the wrong way, and they'll start pushing policies that are contrary to what they say. And I think that's like the big danger is that like you're going to see a lot of fake MAGA types that are talk big game like MAGA, but they don't do anything. It's like with the Reagan revolution where all these conservatives talk about small government and getting government off people's backs, but end up governing like freaking Democrats at the end of the day, which was what matters most, how they vote, because I, I could care less about your rhetoric. I want to see like the actual like roll call votes and stuff like that. The legislation you push, that's what really matters. Yeah, see who's actually voting on what issue. Now you texted me earlier, you said POC bullshit. What, what did you mean by POC bullshit? Was that what we were touching on before about uh, black privilege or what, what, what did you mean by that? 
Well, I think the idea of like the, those coalition, like the POC coalition is like stupid because a lot of these groups, like Asian, Hispanic, and Blacks, they've got different interests. And that like the, the way the left is constructing that is like, it's really a stupid coalition that actually is getting large the state because they're using that to undermine a lot of the population, the white population's interest matters as well in the U.S. And I'm not into the whole game of like affirmative action and using like the state to like micromanage the private affairs of people like through racial quotas and stuff like that. I believe like more like a decentralization where people can associate with whoever they want, whether it be on a racial, religious, or even like economic basis and have like people have their own communities, manage their own affairs. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I, do. I, I do. You know, um, did you raise the volume again? It's doing the thing again. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I never liked the whole POC thing. I, uh, I found it offensive because we deal with racism from all groups, you know, um, and it seems like hey, if we look at the, at the the racial stats of income, right? White men are not first. <laughs> Asians are, right? Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, how are you taking this group that out earns everybody and tries to couple them with black people? Like we got the same struggle. We don't got the same struggle. Y'all are doing really well. Y'all doing better than white people in this country, <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> So, you know, when people took that on, what do you th where do you think that whole thing came from? Is that one of those special interest lobby groups that 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 put that 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 POC idea into the air and made people suck onto it? Yeah, I think it's it's it it, it goes with the whole like globalist trend because like what's in vogue is this like trashing white people and all, all that stuff like now. And to undermine like these like native populations, like whether it's like in Europe and the US, they build like these coalitions, like the POC coalition, and create kind of like a divide and conquer strategy where you have them fighting amongst each other and there's always gonna be a reaction. That reaction is generally gonna be like more state control. And eventually they want to just turn this country into like a total globalist consumer parking lot where everyone is like regional identity or whatever gets destroyed. And you're just basically like an automaton that just shops at like some mall that's and you're always getting into debt. It's like a consumerist cycle and like elite want that. And they use mass migration and a lot of other destabilization tactics to usher in this like new global consumer period. What are the um, tactics that you think they're using outside of immigration? What are the tactics that they're using to kind of destabilize this nation to? I mean, public education for one. I mean, that stuff has been indoctrination since like day one, but they, they use that to not only like just like shame whites but also push a lot of like stupid economic policies that have more government control it's also where people get brainwashed into thinking that guns are bad i mean every like major political issue that you see these days because the left controls the entire education system from public to even a lot of private schools that's where they go and infiltrate and 
propagate their message because getting people while they're young is key in order to like condition them into accepting a lot of this stuff. And that's one way you look at Hollywood and general culture because a lot of people take celebrities pretty seriously. They, some people don't really care that much about politics. So we'll have like celebrities repeat whatever talking point they heard on like MSNBC or whatever. And they, they go on all fronts. The left is like relentless. Like they go, they capture everything from churches to even like your freaking corporations. And I tell a lot of conservatives that like they need to be getting their hustle on in the corporate room and stuff like that. They can't rely on corporations like they did before to step up for their stuff. So you got to learn email marketing. You got to learn actual skills. You can't just rely on your ideas. You've got to know how to move, not just politically, but also society, private sector, you name it. Yeah. I'm glad you said that because it kind of corroborates something I've been saying for a while. I'm like, you know, the left has all the startups. They have all the business. They're the ones that are like doing the most entrepreneur work. And it, yeah. you know, I see as much, you know, entrepreneurship on the right. You know, the right seems to have more of the old school type of entrepreneur stuff, which is, uh, you know, the uh, plumbing, electricity, you know, construction, yeah. those type of things, which are great. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, those are good. Those are good. You know, we need that structural foundation of things. But technology is huge. <laughs> And and the right severely lacks in technology. You know, even if you go to uh, a leftist march, like I was talking to this one journalist, and he said, you can see uh, the vast difference between the left and the right, because when you go to a left march, everybody's got laptops out, technology, this person streaming, that, that. And he says, when you come to the right, you don't see any of the technology. Um, and I feel like if, if the right doesn't catch up on the technology, they'll become technological slaves. Uh, at some point, yeah. you know, like we are now with the yeah. terms of service and getting banned from the internet, da, 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 not having alternatives. Um, you know, Gab is out there. Uh, shout out to Andrew Torba doing good work. Yeah, he's um, legit. They haven't supported him, right? Like the establishment actually created a whole nother conservative social media network just to compete with him. As a conservative yes. social media network, it was, you know, like all the establishment guys went into that other instead of him because, like you said, they're working for the same team, right? <laughs> so we got culture, entertainment, the churches, the school, immigration. How else are they destabilized in America? Um, the nuclear family, right? That ties into public education as well, because when like the state basically takes over the education, your kids are staying there like eight to ten hours at school instead of at home with the parents. I would say this: conservatives are actually pretty good on homeschooling for the most part, but there's not enough homeschoolers. That that the homeschooling movement, like they've like really stepped their game up. I think that if anybody on the right wants to mount a massive like political offense they have to have the homeschooling base down they have to be getting conservatives out of these public schools because these public schools are on phallus worship time they're they're pushing tranny stuff and all this crazy lgbtq whatever nonsense that like any same person would not subject their kids to that kind of like propaganda man yeah i just saw recently um 
shout out to the homies in the uh OTAP group chat. If you don't know how to get there, uh it's on the FAQ site on uh hotepnation.com. You can join our chat. We have a secret group me chat. The only way you can find it is on the website. Um, but they posted an article in there. Um matter of fact, I just want to make sure I give credit to the right person in the chat. I don't just want to say them like their pronouns. Uh the homie just plays. Um Posted an article that basically said uh, New Jersey is now going to it's going to be mandatory. New Jersey Parental Rights Conference coming up. Um, where is it? Uh, the state of New Jersey's Transgender Equality Task Force uh, is coming down the pike. But uh, it says here we're bringing LGBTQ curriculum to New Jersey schools pilot program by Garden State Equality, and they, they're going to make this mandatory uh, beginning in 2020. The fall of 2020, they're going to make this mandatory to be taught in the school. So you're right, man. The the left has uh, seriously devoured the educational system and completely owned it. <laughs> That's crazy. Um, so you said that... Uh, People need to be focused on one issue, one issue at a time. I know that that's basic propaganda. People can only focus on one thing at once. Everybody's got ADD. So there's trends, right? There's trends. We know that the MAGA wave is gonna is is the trend, right? Yeah, well, absolutely. What's the next trend? What's after MAGA? Now, I love that we're having this conversation because this is, these are just personal conversations, uh, personal uh, questions that I need answers to and be able to just come back and refer to this. So I'm glad this is being documented. But what do you expect to be the next trend? What are people going to hop to next? Does politics go back to where it was before, where nobody really paid attention to it because Trump's gone? Uh, does it get even more live with Kanye West deciding to run or what's the next trend? Is, is it still gun control? Is it is it still freedom of speech? What's the next trend? I think that freedom of speech and like Second Amendment, they're going to always be big issues due to the fact how radical the left is becoming. And also I'd argue immigration because of how like the demographics in this country are basically turning third world due to mass migration since 1965 the heart seller act always those three issues are going to always be big and that's arguably why trump won because he campaigned that third issue immigration and there's been a big constituency that's been against immigration mass migration because of economic and also cultural reasons and that's only going to get much bigger as like the left like starts promoting like crazy schemes where like they let everybody like come in through open borders legal and illegally now i think like trump opened up the floodgates for celebrities to go into politics now like with him winning basically any tv star now is just going to be motivated to jump into the political ring you could see like like you said kanye or even like kim k the rock and all that stuff like at least make an effort they might not have the success but we'll see a lot of like celebrity figures get into politics Just politics now man it's a total like reality tv freak show so i think like it's gonna become the new form of entertainment for a lot of people 
And I think that's kind of like a trend. Politics is entertainment. A lot of people are uh, are cutting the core and they're getting their information through like media clips and all of that and like a lot of outrage politics. So yeah, I think that there's gonna be essentially like more celebrity style politics from now on. And you're gonna still see issues like the Second Amendment, free speech, immigration, also LGBTQ, that's always gonna be controversial because of how radical the left has gotten on topics. So yeah, wedge issues are always gonna be relevant, I think. Mm, mm. Okay. Um so we got guns and speech are probably gonna be relevant. I do see immigration becoming that that strong point, right? Like I think that point uh as you move on continues to grow. Like that trend continues to get uh people continue to get more and more passionate. I do agree with that. Um and we're even seeing a, a pushback on legal immigration, not just illegal immigration. We're talking about legal immigration, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah, the Groypers, like the, that whole movement is pretty big. I mean, there's been a pretty vocal minority within like the conservative movement. I think it's also like transpartisan in nature that has questioned legal migration on cultural grounds political grounds based on the voting patterns of a lot of third world migrants and then also economics because when you bring in so many immigrants legal and illegal you do create economic displacement so that issue it's not really just like a conservative issue it should be an issue that crosses part lines in fact when you look at the black community for example if you go to like LA like south central LA traditionally black neighborhoods now are completely controlled by MS-13 and other like gangs that come from these mass migration aids. So the, the issue has actually a lot of broad appeal. That's why the left, they try to put the camps on it and turn it into a topic of like white supremacy. When in reality, a lot of like blacks that help build this country, seeing their traditional communities basically getting displaced because of a lot of Hispanic immigrants moving in and the dirty secret about a lot of hispanic cultures is they're pretty racist implicit or explicitly as well you said the spanish people are racist well a lot of hispanic cultures like they definitely are not as open to like the idea of like traditional like african cultures they have massive slave populations historically but they do a lot of racial mixing and there's not really strong like, black identity like you see like in the u.s and yeah. that's why like even like in mexico for example they used to have a pretty massive black population but it's been assimilated through a lot of mixing and in fact the first president of mexico was part black vicente guerrero but now you see like in la with a lot of these racial trends and migration trends you, you kind of see like the Mexican caste system be important there and they pushed out a lot of blacks because of just the cultural differences. That's why the PC coalition is it's a lie, it's a joke. They have way different interests. Yeah, the, the interests are definitely different. <laughs> That's a damn sure. Um 
So we're, we always like to be solutionary, as Maj would say, right? So um, we touched on earlier how uh, the right, I hate using that term right, because right means extreme. Like, technically, that's what it means. Like, to be right wing means to be extreme. And yeah. I don't think we're extreme at all. So I hate using the term right wing. But I would say the conservative base or um, right of left <laughs> uh, weakness is entrepreneurship. And I know you you wanted to touch on the entrepreneur, entrepreneur uh, topic. I'm an entrepreneur myself. I've been an entrepreneur my entire life. Uh, I never did really understand the idea of a job. But what exactly did you want to tell the people about entrepreneurship that made you? Because I didn't, you know, when you told me, when I saw you type that in, I didn't expect you to want to talk about that, right? So, you know, what, what made you say, you know, you wanted to talk about that? Well, I think it's all it's all connected because essentially, like, these movements, political movements don't finance themselves. That money's not coming out of thin air. So... I think like a lot of people, whether you're on the right, dissident, whatever, that spectrum, you have to go back to basics. Like you, you need to like learn marketable skills and get away from like the nine to five because nine to fives these days are becoming like mechanisms of social control. The companies you work for now, like you talk to a lot of HR people, they're monitoring your political activity, both at work and outside of work. And like being a conservative or whatever, days like we'll get you blackballed and you have to be proactive you can't just like cry about how you're getting persecuted there's a ton of opportunities with the tech we have it's a matter of using it and i think like email marketing is a good way to do it to build like a brand whether you're like doing like a business that's not even political you're selling like a service or whatnot and i think like a lot of like conservatives like if they go more back to basics, they can solve like complex problems that way instead of like just using like old tactics that don't work or just bitching about it on social media. You, you've got like a whole treasure trove of resources online that you can use. And there's a lot of people that are willing to help, that are willing to take you under their wing and interact as long as you put in the work and like demonstrate value. Yeah, yeah. Um, a lot of people attack me. They see me selling stuff, selling books. I sell an expensive marketing book. And I'm just like, are y'all communists or capitalists? <laughs> like, I don't understand. Yeah. I hate when people, you know, try to fault you. You know, we have, I have an app. You know, shout out to my partner, Simone. She started that company. I'm, you know, I came on about a year later. Um, you know, shout out to Maher and Youssef over at Coinbits app. We we sell Coinbits. Uh, we sell Bitcoin uh, based upon a dollar cost average investment strategy. You know, but it's funny because the same problem or the same solutions that would help Black people, the same ones that would help conservatives. Like I saw the same exact thing. As I moved into politics and started paying attention more with the rise of Trump, I saw the same thing. I'm like, yo, y'all need more entrepreneurship. <laughs> like, this is the backbone of America. You know, it's actually interesting. My favorite period of American history is just looking at like the black community from like 1880 until like the great society, like 1960s. Like you had like 
Madam C.J. Walker, S.B. Fuller, Booker T., and even like Marcus Garvey, they were they were speaking truth to power about the idea that like you guys need to own your own businesses and like control like your means production and stuff like that because they were ahead of the curve. They weren't on W.E. Du Bois time where they were into political activism and stuff like that. That's for suckers. Like you're getting played by like much higher powers and like. Yeah, I mean, it's relatable because, like, essentially, with the factors in line of mass migration and the propaganda, like, the U.S. is getting displaced, and there's not going to be space for the distant right if we don't get our act together. And that's why, like, it's like, essential that people break free from the consumeristic trends, learn how to produce, learn how to create value, and actually like contribute and i think it's at a local and individual level people that want to change the world like you have to master yourself before you could even like consider something so bold yeah shout out to john lemley with the five dollar super chat appreciate you homie i hope school is going well i know you got uh finals and midterms probably coming up so make sure you keep grinding out homie i appreciate you um yeah man uh, you know, um, the fact that America is was created on the idea of having a free market, a free society, you know, but, you know, even when I think about the problems, you know, like, so, so here's my problem. Like, sometimes people think like, you know, um, I'm raising money or selling things, you know, for personal gain or ego or stuff like that. And first of all, I think it's necessary that we have to be able to provide for our families. So absolutely, that's always going to be, you know, we got to get paid for our work. But for me, it's just that when I when I really started analyzing the black issue was really right around the time when Mike Brown got shot and Trayvon Martin got shot. And I started, that's, you know, before then I kind of was just more or less in my own bubble, you know, focusing on me. And then I was working with 50 cents. I wasn't even thinking about like society as much, um, you know, as much as I am now. Right. Like I've always been, mm -hmm. like, you know, if you go look at my 2009, 2011 tweets, you know, I'm tweeting about Bilderberg groups and, you know, so I always been, you know, quote unquote, woke but i didn't think about the solutions so much uh at least from a mature standpoint until the mike brown trayvon martin thing and i started i started analyzing like you know like what's the real power move here and it was corporations i'm like yo like we need to have we need to own our not only the means of distribution but the actual distribution channels yeah. Which is why I'm a subscriber to Title instead of Apple, you know, because I believe, you know, black people need our own. We need to start taking that away from these large corporations. You know, it's bad enough I got an Apple iPhone, you know, at least I'm not going to listen to my music through Apple too, you know, let me support Jay-Z, you know. Um, but conservatism is so similar in that in that same aspect where you're complaining about Twitter, Google, and Facebook, and you're thinking about it as if, you know, oh, deep platforming. And I'm like, that's way down the line. <laughs> like, deep platforming is like uh, a symptom 
of this parasite. You need a corporation. Like, think about the amount of things that Google's in for. Google almost got a, a, a United States government contract for artificial intelligence. You know what I mean? Um, Facebook, the amount of things that Facebook's involved in. Um, uh, Jack Dorsey. Jack Dorsey's talking about moving to Africa for six months, right? So these people are thinking geopolitically, but they're thinking about it from a billionaire's mindset, right? How do you establish? Yeah. And, and the thing is, in America, operating as an individual works against your interests because the state has loopholes that are designed for corporations. So when you move about this, when you move about America, you have to move under a straw man. You can't move under your own personal straw man. You have to create straw men. And that's how this system is designed to work. So when people are out here trying to push as individuals, I'm like, now nah, you got to push under a strong straw man. Right? Yeah, there's strength in numbers, man. It's like that Ben Franklin quote, like we either like hang together or hang separately. And you cannot go lone ranger against an enemy like this. That's why if you look at, if you want to be successful, look at the left. They've got all like the corporations, they've got like the Soros's and like these people have been putting in work in the private sector and have built private empires. And that's why they can, like do everything on easy mode. And a lot of that stuff is ugly work. It's the stuff that people don't want to do because it's like, you're talking about five to 10 years, sometimes even 20 years to do that. Everyone wants instant gratification. And yeah, I mean, also look at the Asian community. They got that down to a science. They own pretty much all like the, the nail salons, the distribution. I, I've seen your show about that. And they've owned a lot of that. They save like crazy. And that's why China, like the future might be China's because they're, they're treating this whole geopolitical struggle as an economics thing. Whenever they're already in all these countries, spheres of influence is buying stuff and tapping into the Chinese overseas there. Like they got it down. They they understand like the traditional style of warfare of the 20th century, that's old, outdated, expensive to kick out. They're 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 their foot soldiers are those people that are putting in work in the universities in those H one B visa programs and student visa programs and stuff like that, because they know like those people will easily take information from here and give it to like Huawei or whatever company is in China. Like if you want to look at successful communities, look at the left or like Asians, for example, that, that's how you should emulate because those are the people that are putting in kind of like the work there. And if the work doesn't do that, they're just going to get crushed. Yeah. Uh, super chat from unique Laura. Thank you, Laura. Appreciate you. Love. Appreciate you much. Love. Um, you mentioned Soros. Right, our favorite guy, our favorite billionaire. <laughs> yeah, Bloomberg. <laughs> so, you know, when when Black Lives Matter was popping, you know, I was the one telling everybody, "Yo, this Black Lives Matter ain't us." That's you know, propped up. I knew that would before I even knew what a Soros was because I understood it's not that easy to mobilize black folks. It's not easy to mobilize people. Period. You needed a lot of money to back that. And then when I yeah. saw, and then when I saw that you know like people were getting busted in and people were getting paid to show up like even with Blexit like Blexit we're busting people in right like you need a budget to do that so you you're actually bringing people to your event to make it look more full than what it actually is you know so 
I get that. Like it, it, that totally makes sense. Is you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But the, I don't think a lot of the conservatives understand how important that is. Um, you know, imagine if Hotep Jesus was a billionaire, and I could say, you know, I'm going to pay a thousand uh, students to show up at Planned Parenthoods across the nation, right? <laughs> like that's like the type of political action you would expect to see from TPUSA, but you don't see it happen, right? You see TPUSA getting hit by political action by the Groypers, but you don't see TPUSA actually doing the political action with the funding they got, right? I mean, yeah, they're just basically posting boomer memes on Twitter and like social media, and that's what they're like they're doing. I mean, that's kind of stuff that's like kind of like psychological warfare because essentially you bust in all those people and they see a massive crowd. It sometimes makes the movement look bigger than it actually is, and you can easily gaslight in your opposition into thinking that this movement is like big. And on the other side, if you can't even mobilize like that, your members and stuff like will be like demoralized. They won't be pumped to go to your other events when they know there's going to be like 20 people and, or you're not making any effort. Yeah. 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 I'm learning, man. I'm learning. I'm, you know, I'm just student of all this and, you know, kind of late in my life. I just turned 39 this year, so I'm kind of late getting into all this stuff. I've been studying other things, mostly myself, um, over the past, you know, few years. But um, I'm learning. I'm learning how this America thing operates. Uh, but uh, I get the psychological warfare. You know, I, I play a lot of psychological warfare myself. But I really feel like this is something that has to be fought with money. You know, um, yeah. you know, you need the ability to uh, to mobilize and that's not cheap, <laughs> you know, mm. it's, it's, it's not cheap to mobilize people. You know, to transport one individual for 24 hours is probably at least 100 bucks. Right. And you figure yeah. transportation plus food and hotel at least. Right. So imagine yeah, if you wanted to mobilize thousands, you know, you, you need, you need a, a good amount of money. And, and the thing is, you know, I really don't want to mobilize that off the people's money, which is why I'm so adamant about, you know, like I'm going out to Ohio to meet with an artificial intelligence company and I'm going to uh, become an equity partner in that company. Um, but that's why I'm so aggressive with building my, my business portfolios because you know, we got to get to billionaire status so we can actually make change in this world. As you can see with like what Kanye does, right? He's oh, yeah. my yeoman. And I feel like, you know, that's the future, right? Owning land, building your own um, city and, and governing yourself. And, and then and then launch padding from that out into the greater society, right? I think, I think that- I mean, yeah, that was what like, Black Wall Street was all about, and then forced integration came in and wrecked that shit. Not pissed off white people, like yeah. a lot of people say. Yeah. So speaking of integration, right? Um, I get a lot of pushback because these whole type nation hats, which you can get at the link in the description in the box below. Uh, we got all four different styles of them: beanies, flex fit, snapback, dad hat. But uh, I get a lot of pushback because it's white men and white women that support the hoteps and call themselves hoteps. There's one dude on Twitter called himself Whitey Hotep. 
So they say, you know, how are you guys as pro-black organization, yet, you know, you're working with white folks. And I'm like, well, the white folks I'm working with got the same problems we got, you know, um, at the macro level, at least. Definitely not at the micro level, but at the macro level, uh, we're all victims of communism. And it's all hands on deck at this point, right? And we got to use everybody's energy, right? Um, you know, uh, it sounds like it looked like you got you wanted to say something. Oh no, no, I just wanted to, like go ahead and continue. Yeah, so you know, it it, it looked like uh, from where I'm sitting. I don't know if mentally, quote unquote, black people are mentally free enough to understand my mission, Hotep Jesus' mission, and and how I'm maneuvering with this white audience. Um, I had to leave black Twitter to even grow as an individual because finding these types of conversations with black people is very difficult. It, it's, you know, we're, we're inundated with so much negative media. You know, it's rare to find a black person that you can sit down and mention the name Trump and have an honest conversation without them saying, oh, I hate that guy, right? Like, I'd rather sit down with somebody who's like, I don't really care, you know? Like that's that's the type of mind I want to find and somebody that's looking at this thing from an analytical, logical point of view as opposed to something that's very emotional. And I think the media does a good job in um, keeping black people emotionally controlled. And, and, and you know, they even keep us controlled on all the wrong issues, you know? They, they keep us uh, focused on um, like police brutality, right? Uh, which is which could be an issue, right? You know, which is an issue. Um, they keep us focused on uh, who's wearing blackface that day, or who used to wear blackface, <laughs> <laughs> right? Or uh, integration into Hollywood. Do I got my representation? And you know, not enough black people got a Grammy. And I'm just like, yo, like, who cares about any of this shit? You know, which is kind of like why I like conservatives because. Conservatives weren't into celebrity worship, you know, and I was raised, my pops, you know, he, he hated celebrity worship, you know, like if I came in the house worshiping a celebrity, I would have got cussed out, you know, he didn't believe in that whole role model thing. So I guess maybe as I got older, you know, um, and I don't think if I would have stayed with a pro-black message, I don't know if I'd have made it to Rogan, you know my message my message had to open up to a wider audience uh because my message is applicable and relevant to a to a wider audience and a lot of black people don't even get the message you know we start talking about bolsheviks and mensheviks not even white people understand that shit but yeah you know but i was taught by white people on that you know i was tutored on bolsheviks and mensheviks by a white audience and I don't think I would have got the same from a black audience because they, it's just different interests, you know? I mean, we're at a civilizational crisis now where, like, the U.S. is not going to be like the U.S. any longer due 
to a lot of like external factors that we touched upon before, like mass migration, also just cultural shift and all of that. So you're going to have to like ally with certain strange bedfellows. That's just like the nature of a lot of politics. You have to be able to build coalitions and alliances with unlikely people. And like, like you said, you may have to abandon like a, a huge segment of the black community because of the fact that they're just not willing to listen. And I've experienced that as well with a lot of like Hispanics, a lot of Venezuelans as well. I've been kind of like semi canceled there, but you have to move on and evolve. If you're not progressing or like growing as a person, you're stagnating and becoming irrelevant and you have to be dynamic in that respect. And yeah, we're entering weird times as well. So it's those who adapt and like notice the trends and build their skill sets and other stuff in the background that ultimately went out. And I think like moving forward, I think the Kanye approach obviously works very well. It's it's rooted in like the idea that you need to control like your own like towns and cities and he's definitely set himself up over the years he's not like your typical rapper that's like hood rich or has like a rented car like in like a music video he's actually building companies he's always like every time i see him he's like building something employing people yeah employing people yeah 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 um it feels like everybody has a hidden agenda. So the black left, and I knew this from studying Marcus Garvey, but I experienced it for myself and I didn't realize it until I connected it with my Marcus Garvey studies. But the black left secret agenda is cry, cry, cry. So people buy, 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 right? Uh, yeah. You know, uh, you complain about this problem so you can raise money, so you can, quote unquote, stay employed. If we were to change to a solutionary mindset, then everybody would be unemployed. Right. So I think I think that's why when I was, uh, I guess, part of black Twitter and um, I had to push back against Black Lives Matter and I was blocked by everybody and lambasted by everybody and. That's how I got the name Hotep, you know, when, you know, Mike Brown got shot. I was the guy that said, yo, let's divest from the NFL. And they were like, oh, that makes no sense. You're a Hotep. But then we look a few years later and now everybody was talking about the whole Kaepernick thing, right? So I started seeing that I was ahead of the curve on a lot of these issues and, and was seeing, you know, a few years ahead of these people. So that became very discouraging. Um, and, and I didn't agree with the cry, cry, cry method. I'm like, I get it, you know, it's sustainable. We can make an income off of it, but it doesn't sit well with me. That's not like what I want kids to emulate because kids don't do what you say, they do what you do. And, I, you know, I really don't want the kids emulating that cry, cry, cry attitude, mm -hmm. um, you know? So, you know, it, I basically got pushed into conservatism <laughs> because my message was conservatism and I didn't even know it. <laughs> it was just like, yo, fuck the government, do us, 
build and move on, you know? Yeah, the, the whole activism model is basically a distraction from a lot of like the problems that the black community and a lot of other communities face, like in the US, it, it takes away attention from uncomfortable stuff that no one wants to talk about. And it's insanely profitable in the short term and medium term. And it keeps a lot of activists and other grifters employed. But yeah, if you talk about stuff like Kanye's doing, that whole class of people, they're gonna have to like find another line of work. They're gonna actually have to be productive and not like act like political parasites because that's why they always try to cancel people like Kanye or even like SP Fuller when he was talking about blacks like in the fifties, like to own their own businesses. He got canceled by Jackie Robinson whenever he he basically said that Jackie Robinson responded like we need to just boycott this guy. And you just look that up. SB Fuller, like he's not really talked about these days for a good reason because of the fact that he was preaching a very non PC message before the civil rights movement started. Yeah. Shout out to P Dog Knight in the chat. Appreciate you for coming through, homie. Um he's got a wonderful podcast. If y'all people haven't checked him out, P Dog Knight. Yeah. So then I moved to the right. And then I started seeing the same thing that I saw on the on the on the black left, right? I started seeing that people were cry, 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 cry. So I like wait, and that's how I kind of found conservative ink, and or made the differentiation between a conservative and conservative ink, right? Um, yeah. So now it's like the 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 conservatives cry about the liberals. And that's like a whole business, right? So oh, yeah. It's like when we were talking about me taking some black kid out the hood and turn him into a, a MAGA superstar, you know, really his only job is to not criticize Republicans and to criticize and attack the left. Like that's pretty much all it is. And that's a good business model. Well, good in the sense of lucrative, uh, you know, entirely, yeah. you know, you can build your influence like that. But morally, I'm just like, you know, for a while I was I was doing it right. I was I was doing the whole cry, cry, cry about the left thing, um, mostly because uh, I was trying to point out to black people about like, yo, look like these are people y'all voting for. And then I found myself getting into a habit of it because of uh, uh, confirmation bias. Um, what they call it when um, when your followers uh, uh, you know crowd approval, I guess you can say, you know, a um, little bit of uh, dopamine fix, Not sure. you know. But uh, when I found that it became repetitive, I was like, "Yo, this ain't even me," you know. Like I had to recenter myself. Cause I found myself doing that, but before I stopped, I started doing it on purpose to see how people reacted. You know, like if I type this, will people react in a positive manner? And I type it and watching up like, y'all really retweeted that? Like you really thought that was like a good point? And it just like, oh, I see what's going on here. So that's how I started to understand the grift. 
and how they script this move, right? Which is still like a type of social activism, no? Still SJW. Oh, absolutely. The, the right ends up acting like the left, whether it's like voting for stupid stuff or like using the same MO, it comes up to cancel culture, outrage culture, and grifting. These groups, like, they end up acting the same when push comes to shove. It's just like a matter of time when that ends up happening. And they, they operate on a very similar wavelength. That's why when I like, look at politics, man, like, the only political activity I do is if it's like building up a group or like promoting like an actual good candidate. That's like what I do. Only what I do. I, I don't share, I don't go on dunking on people on Twitter or sharing like boomer memes and stuff like that. That's a waste of time. I'd rather be building a group doing some policy analysts or building up candidates or getting involved in like a local issue. If it's not changing votes, building up my power base or advancing like a controversial political idea, I find this a waste of time. Yeah. Well, I mean, a lot of these people are getting, getting uh, free trips. They're getting um, perks. They're getting party invites. They getting shown. They getting um, getting the red carpet rolled out for them just for sticking to the st the talking points. Yeah, and it's it's kind of scary, right? Like after you realize it, because it's just like the people that you care about, uh, that you care about, you know, the, the base that you want to reach out to, are in love with these people. You know, and it's just like, that's not the way. And I felt the same thing when I was with the black community and I was on my super pro black shit. I was like, yo, don't follow these people. This ain't the way, <laughs> you know? And it's just, um, it's really hard on my heart sometimes to watch, but I'm starting to get it. I'm starting to understand it. I'm starting to be able to center myself. Um, is that why you support the Hoteps? Cause you feel like, uh, we're one of the groups out here that might actually make some change. Yeah, I mean, it relate. Uh, I've always liked the the Marcus Garvey message and stuff like that. When I read all stuff, like this is like, oh shit! Like this is actually a movement that's inspired by a lot of the stuff I read about Black history, like the Black history that's been pretty much censored from like all universities and educational institutions. And I'm down with like whatever message that's big on entrepreneurship. And yeah, like that's the thing these days is that you have to find like-minded people. Whenever you're getting rejected left and right, you have to find people that are on your same wavelength and that are actually like improving themselves. Because when you when you associate with mediocrity, you become mediocre yourself. And that's like basic what's his face? Tim Ferris, like you're the average of like the five people like you're closest to. And that's why I gravitate towards groups like that. If you're not producing, I don't have interest in affiliating with you. That's just like a, an emotional and financial waste of time and resources. Yeah, yeah. Everybody in Hotep's an author. Uh, Uncle Hotep is an established media personality and father. But, you know, we, we try to provide and um, create opportunities for other people to even make income. People who make money selling my book. I think Coach Joe made over $4,000 selling my book. He ain't even a hotel. Um, uh, selling my marketing book. Um, but that, you know, it's kind of just like what we want to build over here. Um, 
you know, something that can actually make a change. So how do we, right? So we have, we got the grifters, right? And then we have um, people like you uh, who are actually doing real work, right? And looking at the, the real things we need to be looking at. Do we, are the grifters a concern or do we ignore them and just kind of just go about our, our life because they really don't change anything in the grand scheme of things? Are you saying grifters? Yeah, the grifters. Like, do we ignore them? Do we attack them? Do we, do we expose them? Do we ignore them? Like, what do we do with the grifters? I I take the Bruce Lee approach with that is to take what works that they're doing that works and just turn it into your own style. I don't really attack these groups much, like publicly, unless they do something like insanely out of pocket. Like they repeat like some really stupid leftist talking point or support an insanely bad policy uh, i tend to pull my punches on stuff like that and then like whenever i hit i hit really really hard i make it count because there's diminishing returns to when like you attack people at all the time and you just basically come off as like a hater but when you're building stuff like that stuff will eventually speak for itself yeah it's a matter of yeah yeah putting in the work yeah, that's how I feel. I feel like, you know, we build a hotep nation. That's really going to, you know, that's really what's going to matter. And I see a lot of people attacking the grifters, and I don't know if they know it, but they do kind of look like haters, you know. Um, I do my fair share of calling out because um, that's what I do. You know, I've been doing that since I called out Duran and Sean King before anybody even knew what they were up to, you know. Um, but I do my calling out and I usually leave it alone, but I call it out. So it's documented. So later on, when people say, why didn't you tell us? I can say, look, I told you. Yeah, you have a track record. <laughs> yeah, this shit needs to be documented. Like I told you not to fuck with them. It's on record, you know, but I don't, I tend not to harp on it. I mean, the reality is a lot of these groups, like if like Hoteps pops off or any type of dissident right group pops off and TPUSA is still around, they'll submit. Like that's just like what's going to happen because if you, if you get so strong, you'll have the leverage and they'll have to come to the table. That's how I see it. And they're going to submit. And that's been my mindset with how we put how I move, how a lot of organizations move because Calling them out all the time basically loses its purpose. And once you have enough documentation of like the incidents they sell out, that's all you need. And just build your org and keep it moving. Yeah. And I also just don't like calling out all the time because it's just like negative energy. When I'm building stuff, I just feel a lot better. Right, right. Absolutely. Um, shout out to chat, 499 Super Chat. He says, shout out to Jose and Hotep Jesus. Gotten a bad wreck so, today, and I'm just tuning in. Peace and love to the hotels. Damn, Chad, what happened, dog? Hit me up. Te text me. Tell me what happened, bro. John Lemley, ten dollars super chat. Appreciate you, bro, bro. He said this is a really great conversation to listen to. It's uh, really unfortunate that there's not much of a live audience watching, but there's definitely a lot of valuable knowledge being shared right now. Thank you, John. Thank you for pre uh, for for peeping that, man. Quiet, Brian. $5 super chat. He said, white hotep numbers on the rise. <laughs> 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 I'm 
I'm going to finish this later, early morning start. Yeah, you know, I see the problem. I see the, I feel like there's a lot of uh, weight on the black community's back, right? And you can attack that from a very pro-black point of view, but I don't think you get very far, right? I don't think you can, I think it's more or less my, the enemy of my enemy is my friend type thing, where um, you think that white people are your enemy, but really you and white people share the same enemy. And it might be time to join forces uh, against the communists. And I feel like if we can alleviate some of the tension that comes through bureaucracy and politics for all, it helps the black community, as we know, what integration did with the black community. One policy alone just destroyed it, right? One fast <laughs> You know, so you can, and that was a pro-black push. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah, it, it, when you're in politics, coalition building is essential. That's how, like, that's like politics 101, I think. And if you can't do that, you're not going to go very far. And at this point, you got to take what you can get. Like, I'll take anybody, like Asian, Hispanic, black, white, whatever, as long as you're effective. Like, if you implement, like, the strategy at work and you're on point, it's all that matters. I don't care for quotas. I don't care for how we have to do this by the book. We just have to do stuff that works, really. Yeah. We need effective work out here, man. And... And I feel like uh, every group of people, every culture has their strengths and weaknesses. And so we need to use everybody, you know, um, shout out to Chad. Chad helps us out. Um, he volunteered and he does the video work for Hoteps. But um, we had a black kid that was supposed to be our video guy and he fumbled. Like, you know, like I gave him like small tasks, like, yo, can you create us an intro, you know, and you know, months would go by and he'd send me like this preview from like, he took video recording from his phone of his laptop. And it was just like, just like really janky. And then we got Chad, this white dude from Louisiana and we get an intro every week, <laughs> you know, a new custom intro every week and we're getting cuts from, you know, what's name. And then we got this guy, Jose, that helps us out. Um, you know, with uh, some of the behind the scenes stuff with Hotel's been told you, Jose Nino, as you see on the screen, right? So, <laughs> if, you know, had I had I stayed on my 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 whole pro black extremist shit, you're not in my life, you know. Chad's not in my life, you know, and I didn't choose y'all based upon race. You know, this thing kind of came together organically based upon our interests. And I think that's what a lot of people fail to realize is that we can come together based upon interests, you know, first and foremost. We could talk about race second, <laughs> right? <Yeah. laughs> but there's a bigger beast right now that's stepping on all our necks that we got. Yes, absolutely. And then we could then we could argue about white versus black. <laughs> I mean, I'm a extremist when it comes to the freedom of association like people can you have the right to associate based on ethnicity religion and stuff like that whites can have their own groups blacks can have their own groups asians can have their own groups hispanic can have their own groups but at this moment i think like 
there's just not the conditions for building kind of like separatist groups. There's going to have to be like certain type of alliances and coalitions being built. I'm willing to help anybody that's against globalism. I don't care like your background and stuff like that. If you all have the right position on this issue and I notice that you're effective, come on board. Like I'll, I'll help out and we'll collaborate, but I don't really think it pays to be picky when it comes to a lot of this coalition building because the left just has so many advantages. They've got the first mover advantage and all of that, that I think like being so picky right now is pretty suicidal for many people that want to get into politics. You've got to like, work of the cards that have been dealt with. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think the smaller, well, this goes back to like marketing, right? So this, the larger the demographic, usually you need a bigger, a bigger uh, budget, right? But yeah, the inverse could be true sometimes, like when you want to deal with a very small minority group, reaching out to them sometimes is going to take more, more money and resources, right? Because out of the minority, you know, it's 40 million black people in America. Like how many of those are actually going to be uh, viable to be politically active or uh, business or entrepreneurially active, right? There's, there's even smaller minority of that. So like you need more money to kind of drill down into those smaller demographics, you know, which makes it a lot harder as opposed to opening up your message to a little bit wider audience, then you capture more people, you know? And it's, it becomes yeah. a little bit uh, less expensive. I mean, yeah, like for like political work, <clears throat> you have to go for like the people that ultimately can do stuff that like comp that are very competent. Like it's one thing to have like say like a black or Hispanic church group because there's not as much profit is involved in that. I mean, yeah, like it helps have people that know how to fundraise. And stuff like that when you have like a business or political group there's a clear like quantitative measure you have to meet to like state functioning and like you have to make a lot of like cutthroat decisions to that may have you where you have to like part ways with someone that you would otherwise associate with maybe like on a personal like non-political or non-business level Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Associate on interest and confidence. Right, right. Um, Edgar Vargas, I started following Hotep because it is original, thought-provoking conversations and not just regurgitating information. Shout out to Edgar. We appreciate you, man. I hope you're enjoying this chat here with uh, Jose. Jose, we're going to start to wind down here a little bit. Um, what, what do you want to tell the people about yourself or what do you want them to leave knowing about you uh, as they uh, exit today's conversation? Well, if you want to get like my like takeaways and just like advice on political information, they can like hop on to my, my newsletter, which is josealnino.com forward slash newsletter. And I generally email us every day on the articles I post and also just general political advice. And I've also got two eBooks that I'm hoping to get in paperback soon. That you can also find my, my website, josealnino.com, 
One of them is how socialism destroyed Venezuela. And then the other one is the 10 myths of gun control. And lastly, you can follow me on Twitter, Jose Almino. I'm pretty active. I'm sharing content. Word. I just want to give you a bit of advice and people listening too. Never call your ebooks ebooks. Call them guides, white papers, or something else. The term ebook uh, actually actually cheapens the uh, mm. experience of of what of what it is you have there because what you have is not an ebook, right? Like that. Uh, like uh, yes, it's an electronic book, but what you write is bigger than just an ebook, right? You mm. have like a manifesto <laughs> yeah <laughs> you have uh, a white paper um you have a guide you know you have these things are like electronic tools um you have information you have knowledge you have wisdom um so yeah you know it's just a bit of advice you know i see a lot of people use that term uh ebook and i just always like to tell them you know are we chatting to to not use that term um chad said he got paper copies of both books because jose is my dude yo that's how we do man we support right here yo shout out to the homie chad um jose yo, i just had a conversation today um everybody make sure y'all uh sign up for his newsletter i put the link in the chat so you guys can sign up uh, on his website and um stay up to date with him make sure y'all follow him on on twitter as well uh i tagged him on my uh twitter so you'll see it in the uh, pinned tweet um but yo jose thank you for coming through man great conversation i'm having fun rewinding this one and studying this talk yeah thank you for having me on hotel and thanks for the pointers as well yeah no doubt i think uh we're gonna have to do this again soon sometime Shout out to everybody in the chat. We appreciate you for coming through. Don't forget tomorrow, Hotep's been told you live, 8 p.m. Eastern Eastern time with Uncle Hotep. We got a lot to discuss this week. Um, we're going to be talking about, um, yo, what would you think about uh, Kamala Harris dropping out the race? Jose? I mean... I just like the fact that like Tulsi practically like ended her and it just makes like her calling out Kamala before it's much more like delicious, man. Like she had it coming and I never liked Kamala Harris. She always like struck me as like pretty nasty and her policies sucked too. So it's great to see her drop out. You saw Andrew Yang squirting. Um, <laughs> squirting. I saw something like that. Yeah, what the fuck was that all about? <laughs> Yo, dudes were getting on their knees, and he was squirting <laughs> whipped cream into their mouth. <laughs> I think people symbolism. Yeah, what would you do for a thousand dollars a month? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's that's that Yang style socialism. <laughs> that's exactly what that is. Yeah. So yeah, we're gonna be talking about um Andrew Yang whipped cream baths 
<laughs> Somebody edited in the the, the Pornhub uh, outro <laughs> on the on the Yang video. That shit was funny as hell. But yeah, we'll be here tomorrow, uh, 8 p.m. Eastern time, same spot. And I'll be talking to somebody on Friday at 7 p.m. Uh, Scott uh, Patterson. We're going to be talking about Bitcoin, uh, uh, Bitcoin Cash. So you guys will be able to tune in for a great financial podcast this Friday. Thank you, everybody that dropped Super Chats. Uh, before you leave, hit the like button. Let's get this thing up as far as likes are concerned. The high engagement YouTube loves to see. Uh, links are in the description to support Jose. You can get his book there. And also, uh, you can get yourself one of these beautiful, elite, and yet extremely rare Hotep Nation hats with the Hotep Nation insignia on them. Thank y'all for tuning in. Y'all, I'm going to see y'all tomorrow. Hotep's been told you. <laughs>